0: Wow, I just got a chance to meet a guy who is a leader of leaders, a coach of coaches. In fact, I get a chance during this episode to talk to a guy who has coached at the highest levels for almost his entire adult life. On this episode of Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear from Coach Brendan Schuer. If you're not a basketball fan, you would not recognize a guy who has won back-to-back NBA championships a guy who has coached dozens of players who are now in the Hall of Fame a guy who's led the dream team and helped make basketball a global sport and today he just gets real he gets honest about some of the challenges of coaching at that level some of the stresses that go along with it but he also gives a very simple piece of advice a piece of advice that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of this week. I hope you're going to be challenged as you listen to coach Brendan sewer on this episode of unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable coach. Sure. It is so good to have you on this episode of unbeatable. Thanks for taking your
1: time out to be with me today. Please. My pleasure. But, uh, Please call me Brendan. I, I, I'm old enough, but please don't call me coach or anything. Well, you can call just, me coach. Know, I but, wanted
0: to respect the
1: huge well, you, amount of effort you, in, that you. In, in professional basketball. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm honored to be with you, and I have so much respect for what you did uh, so that we're able to sit here and do a podcast today.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to do my best to call you Brendan instead of referring to you as coach. But if yeah. I slip up a time or two, no, that's you're familiar fine. with that title. Coach
1: is sufficient. As I told yeah. my players, you can call me coach, you can call me B, call me Brendan, but please don't, no bad words, no no yeah.
0: Okay, don't call you the other yeah. words that go along yeah. with that, yeah. sometimes tossed around in the locker room, right?
1: Yeah. When you're yeah. not there. Amen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, for those of you who are driving right now and you're listening to this podcast, you don't get a chance to see the background behind him. But I'm looking right now at pictures of the Wheaties box. I'm looking at pictures of the Dream Team. I'm looking at the trophies that represent championships. Wow, you've got an incredible legacy in basketball. Um, let's go back to the beginning and talk about how you got introduced to this sport and, and, and why you started uh, giving your life to it.
1: You know, I think in life, uh, what happens is, you know, you're influenced by a teacher in school, Uh uh, a coach in life, um, you know, someone that just had, if you're not lucky enough to have great parents, someone that was even more, and if you do have great parents, which I did, someone that was even more influential, because these people tell you the same thing your parents did, but you... Liked what they were saying to you right. more because yeah. they've given You're you willing playing to listen time to with what it. they were saying exactly. Right? So my high school coach, my sophomore year in high school, was a gentleman by the name of U.B. Brown, who lives in Atlanta. Right. He's a Hall of Fame coach and um, and he was my high school coach. <laughs> he was the best teacher in the school in the high school in in North Jersey, and he also, which made it amazing, he was our assistant football coach on a state championship team defensive coordinator and he was our head baseball coach on a state championship baseball team what this guy's incredible and and, you know fast forward he left after my sophomore year and went to college coaching and uh, but we still remained incredibly close and you know he would back then coaches in college didn't make any money yeah (laughs) and you know to supplement his income, he would do some clinics in the summer, and I was his demonstrator because I was <laughs> still in high school and then playing in college. And I would, and then uh, fast forward, after six years of college coaching, he had gone to Duke University as an assistant, then to, as an assistant wow. to the Milwaukee Bucks. Then he became a head coach at the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA, coached Artis Gilmore and them, and won uh-huh. the championship. And then was named head coach at the Hawks. And after his second year at the Hawks, he brought me in as assistant coach, uh, with Mike Fratello back then, the NBA, we only had two assistant coaches. Yeah. (laughs) Now there's like 20 guys behind the bench, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and I sat there and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Uh, I had never watched, there was pro basketball hardly. And I had been a college coach for six years and, he was such an he was the greatest teacher I was ever around. He taught the game and he just made such an impact. And I remember uh, you being from Georgia, uh, my first practice with the Hawks uh, is at Cobb County Civic Center.
2: Right oh, next yeah. To Dobbins okay. Air
1: Force Base, where yeah. I'm sure you might have landed a few times. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, there's 2,500 people in a practice. Now they don't even let people in practices in the NBA and 2,500 people. Cause they were central division champs in the NBA. And I am so nervous. I have no idea yeah. what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, he walks up and he probably, I'm 27 years old. And he walks up to me and he says, Hey, and he, he talked, I'm sure you've had some officers that you worked with that talked like that. And he would have this amazing, uh, Cadence when he talked, and he'd say, "Hey, Uh don't, don't try to be me. Be yourself. It's good enough." Wow. Yeah. And it was the best lesson I ever had because I couldn't be him. I was nowhere near him. Yeah. But you know, but he validated that I could be okay just being who I am, and that's one of the biggest things I try to teach coaches now: is don't try to be someone else. Be be who you are. And he was the one that inspired me. And I knew from the time that I that I played for him in high school that I wanted to be a coach. My mom was a teacher and she said, Oh, you want to go to college? We don't want to send you to college to be a coach. You know, I want you to go get a real, real job. Yeah, and I
2: get
0: fired in one season.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I just wanted to, I wanted to be a high school coach like him. Yeah. And so yeah. I remember after 35 years in the NBA, my mom was in her nineties and uh, up in New Jersey. And I'm, um, with her one day and she says, I, I have to tell you, you've been a disappointment to your father and I. And oh, I said, no. what? I said, this you know, I got a dream team. I got two yeah. championship rings. Right. I said, you know, made a few bucks. You know, it, why have I just? Dis- she said, You never did what we sent you to college for. You never taught in high school. You know, it's, that's what she wanted. Yeah. She so, wanted
0: herself to be. Yeah. Yeah. She, okay. she wanted
1: me to be a high school teacher and, and a coach in high school. So that's the only thing I haven't achieved on my bucket list in basketball. Yeah. But other than All that, right. I'm okay.
0: Maybe there's a school in Jersey that'll bring you in for, you know, a, I'm, a couple I'm looking of games. I'm
1: looking for yeah. some place, you know, looking for some place. Don't say, by you know, way, Nick Nick Saban and I are the same yeah. age. They'll say we're we're over the hill, you know. <laughs> no.
0: Really? <It's>, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, by the way, I just tried to do my best Jersey accent, but I I don't no, have it Don't in me, do you that. know. I, I don't either.
1: I I living in the south now for over half my life. I have now a blended accent. Yes.
0: Yeah right so people readily recognize you like me and say hey you aren't from around here are you brandon yeah no
1: no they they think i'm one of them actually yeah so that's good i I, i'm one of my way as my wife has said when we moved to detroit michigan she is born and raised houston atlanta she's a real southern gal and and she used to tell the people in detroit uh where do you all live? <laughs> and, they, and they would point at their house, and she said, "We live over yonder." Yeah, <laughs> so, right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, like you and I are over yonder. Path, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes.
0: Well, I teach leaders, and when I tell them, when I teach them, the statistics say the same thing year after year after year. The hands down, the number one most influential person in a leader's life is always going to be the parents. But it's fascinating, usually number two on that list is a teacher or a coach, and it's typically a teacher or a coach at the middle school or high school level. They're the ones that left the biggest impact on a person. So I can imagine the impact that that uh, that was left on you, but I'm sitting there thinking about the amount of impact that you've left on some of the greatest players in the game over the years. Um when did you actually get introduced to the game of base- basketball? When did it become like, this is my thing?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, in elementary school, I was a track star. Then I'd play baseball, football, and didn't really pick up basketball till eighth grade, ninth grade. But it was like my third best sport. But then when I got wow. introduced to Coach UB Brown, then all of a sudden I dropped it. I was, a, you know, I was a quarterback uh, on the varsity team, on that state championship team. I was a lacrosse player. Uh, dropped all that and said, I'm going to focus on one thing, which I don't recommend high school kids doing, by the way. I really wish yeah. they would play several sports. But I did that. Uh, at no urging. I just wanted, I knew I needed to improve enough. So it was in high school, Jeff, that I really did that. And uh, and at that point, I said, I didn't know the impact. I w- I just knew I wanted to do it. Uh, sure. and I, and, and that's all, I mean, I had no aspirations of being, I hate to say it great or even accomplished. I just yeah. wanted to do something I enjoyed. And so that was pure and simple. It, when I was 18, 19 years old, a freshman college, I would go to these coaching clinics where the best coaches in the country, college coaches were teaching. And they said, uh, you're not a coach. And I said, no, I'm a college student. I want to learn. And they looked at me like, huh? You know, and I, and I would go to these things to learn. And I was the only college student there. Obviously these were all high school and college coaches there. And I just had that insatiable desire to learn, which still to this day, I'm way better coached than I ever was, even when it's a championship coach, because I'm a lifelong learner. And that's what I've tried to do with my business coaching you, which is a global business. I'm trying to do two things. I'm trying to, I'm trying to coach people around the world to be better at what they do, because if they're better coaches, the players will become better. If you have poor coaching, you have poor players. Right.
0: Hey, Brendan, you've had a chance to coach some pretty incredible teams. And I want to pause you for just a second, because one of our sponsors is Go Ministries. And Go Ministries is helping people become part of the most powerful team ever to walk the planet it is the team of god's people that are going out and changing the world and go ministries has a plan to help people become part of that team so i want you to just listen to this brief information about go ministries and the teams that they're building the teams
2: of disciples that they're building hi my name is will Parton. i'm the president of go ministries Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org.
1: And it's the same in the military because General Mart Hartling is a dear friend. And, you know, if you don't have good leadership, you're not going to have good soldiers, (laughs) you know. And so now that's my whole thing in life is how can I help people get better, pure and simple. And 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 that's my mission in life. I'm lucky to be able to do something that I love now. And so my whole thing is about leadership right now also.
0: Well, anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube can see the books behind you, and it won't take long to figure out (laughs) this guy obviously must really be a lifelong learner. And I've heard for many years that a leader continues to be a learner. And when you stop being a learner, you're really choosing to stop being a leader. Um, I'm fascinated by your story because a lot of people find a sport, they fall in love with the sport, they keep playing the sport for the rest of their life, and then they kind of Forgive my language. They age out of playing the game and start to coach the game, because they have to, not really because they want to. But it sounds like in your case, you you wanted to start coaching while you were still playing, even while you were in college. You were fat, You were interested in coaching, which is very yeah. rare.
1: Yeah, I, I actually uh, signed a scholarship to go play at a school that was a liberal arts school, and uh, and I looked at I signed it because. I'd like to coach and I knew I'd play. And then all of a sudden I looked at their curriculum and I said, they don't have teacher education. And I, all of a sudden in August of my summer before my freshman year, I switched and picked a school near my house because they had physical education yeah. and I, which I felt very comfortable teaching as opposed to math or history or English, all right. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that was my pure and simple reason. And I wanted to do that so I could coach and teach in high school, and that was my plan. I played four years of college basketball on really good teams, and all of a sudden, uh, I'm going to then go immediately after college and do a master's graduate assistantship program, uh-huh. and to, you know further my degree. But you know, possibly even go to college coaching because I, I I really like that possibility, and all of a sudden I get this a call on april 1 i'm um, student teaching in my hometown and it's dick Vitale, famous wow. espn yeah.
0: who's oh, yeah. a
1: high school who was a high school coach at a team we used to play against i used to work at his camps in the summer and he said i just became the head coach at the university of detroit and i said i need to hire two assistants are you interested I have not graduated from college. I got two months to graduate. Wow! You're and still in Sure, student. sure Harvard. I did. And yeah. I, and literally that day, I became the assistant coach at the University of Detroit. Had no coaching experience. Had never been to coaching Detroit. Players Michigan. that
0: are basically the same age as you,
1: or older, or yeah. older. Wow! And uh, and and it was fantastic experience. And he's an incredible human being, uh, yeah. you know, for what he's done for cancer research, but right. uh, just the most enthusiastic guy of all time. And yeah, so that was I mean, really neat uh, to work with him. I stayed with him for a year, and then I came back east and took a higher assistance job at Fairfield University uh, to kind of to be closer to home but uh, in, in Connecticut, uh, but more importantly, an opportunity to even coach a better team and uh, I did that for five years before I went to the MBA. But, yeah. you know, right, right then and there, I, I knew that that's where all of a sudden. But I had still had no idea of where it would ever lead me. I, right. I, I was very, and this is, I think, good for people that are your listeners, Jeff, is that after my fifth year at Fairfield University, I'm 26, 27 years old. And like the, the youth today, very impatient. Because I know I'm pretty good, and I should be a head college coach by now. Yeah. And so, I uh, I applied for this small Division two job, and I went in there, and it's going to be athletic director and a head basketball coach, and it was a Catholic high school, a Catholic college, and and uh, the the president of the university said, oh, "We're not going to hire you. You're overqualified." I said, what what? twenty six year old mean? overqualified coach is <laughs> it? she said you're too good you'll leave us in a year i said no i promise you i won't <laughs> you know uh, yeah. she said that's why we have confessions sir we, you, we you, you'll say you'll say <laughs> yeah. you're sorry later on right, that's right. So she, they didn't give me the job and i was mm-hmm. i mean i you talk about depressed uh you know I, wow. I, nowadays i would call my friend brian davidson and say, brian i mean i got some problems see they yeah. said i'm overqualified and I, I just wanted this job and uh and I, I like all these things about should I get out of coaching and there, and yeah. I w- I applied I had just got my master's degree and I I was applying from now to go to graduate school to get my doctorate and saying you know what I'm just going to go be a superintendent of schools like I yeah. had never even been teacher right. in a school yeah but I'm gonna yeah. I have to go and the next day Ubi Brown called and said I need to meet with you in Washington D.C. about something I said Yubie, I got one class left from my master's and I cannot miss it. He said, come down, fly down and we'll have you back for your class at six o'clock at night. I said, okay. I go down there and, and he sits there and he says, uh, our assistant coach left to become the general manager to Utah jazz, frankly. And right. I'm offering you the job as the assistant coach. And I remember we were in this hotel room and Mike Fertello, who's a dear friend is the mm-hmm. other assistant coach with the Hawks. And, and I almost fall off the bed I'm sitting on. It. And I was, yeah, sure. "You want me to be an assistant coach in the NBA?" <laughs> and he says, "Yeah." And I, he says, and he starts telling me the salary and everything. And I, I think I'm making like eleven thousand dollars for oh, a yeah. college yeah. coach after six years. And and he's saying, you know, I'll give you thirty-five thousand, thirty-seven five, and forty thousand. I'll give you a car and this. Is that enough? And I yeah. go. He could have told me I was doing it for free or I had to pay him, I was gonna say yes. Right. And and yeah. and I said, Yes, yeah, that, that, that's fine, sir. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And that's how it started. Wow. I'm So fascinated. I went from depression to yeah.
0: Yeah. And what a massive jump. I, I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, there's a moment in my military career that I'll never forget. And I can't help but wonder what this was like for you. So for years, I was kind of the doer on the in special operations. But then I got to enough rank. I didn't really want it. I wasn't looking forward to it, but I kind of got moved, even against my will, into a leader of the doers in special <laughs> operations. And leading the team was a big, it was more of a challenge than I thought it was going to be personally. And I'm leading now some of those guys that I was working directly with as a peer. And I'm thinking about you as a player going straight into coaching while you're still at the college level, wondering what was this challenge like for you to coach now guys that really are your age or older. And in many cases, are not looking at you like a coach. you gotta gotta you gotta earn that, right? So well, h- how did that work for you? How did that go
1: for you? I'm thinking about the special ops guys that you're with, and I read all their stories. Listen to every podcast I can. I admire them so much. Yeah, the thing I've too. learned about great students, great performers, is that they're so demanding of you, mm-hmm. the leader. And if you don't know what the hell you're doing, and if you can't lead them, they they push, they don't need you.
0: They'll move. They'll keep
1: right on going and leave you in the dust. So I challenge like high school teachers that have advanced placement students. I said, those kids are smarter than you. They demand excellence from you. And, 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 and just because you're a good performer, doesn't mean you're going to be a good leader as you well know. and, I, I think it's the greatest challenge in the world to coach greatness. Yeah. I mean, I think I have 27 players that have made the basketball hall of fame that I've coached wow. and I had nothing to do with them making it there. I mean, it, but man, if I didn't know what I was doing, at least they would just, they wouldn't, they don't need me. And, yeah. um, and they, and the players in the NBA, they need you. If they don't think you can help them get more playing time or make more money,
0: uh-huh. right.
1: <laughs> They don't need you.
0: They'll move right so, on along. That's simple.
1: It's that yeah. simple. And so every day you better be, have your A game when you yeah. go in to practice or a game. And I remember, uh, you know, the best players and or the best performers in any business, whether it's military or sports, are the most demanding on you. Yeah. Yeah. My, and and I remember the most demanding players I ever had were Isaiah Thomas. I mean, uh-huh. this guy, if I didn't if I didn't have it, <laughs> that was it. I mean, to the point where, literally, at three in the morning after we lost to the Bulls in the playoff game, he called me in my hotel phone and said, "Come downstairs. I need to talk to you right now. It's three in the morning." Wow. Yeah. And You could no cell phones back then, right? You know, it's 1989, and Michael Jordan had just scored 47 in the Eastern Conference Finals against us. And I have the two best defensive players in the NBA on our team guarding him, Dennis Rodman and Joe Dumars. And Isaiah says, we need to do something to stop Jordan. I said, at 3 in the morning, you know, and I said, uh, (laughs) yeah. And at, at that moment, between three and five a.m., we did, we made up what now are called the Jordan Rules, and literally wow. a, a double-teaming defense to stop Michael Jordan, and and you know what that that's that was that's a perfect example of the best yeah. point, the best point guard in the world demanding that we have to do something to win. Right, <laughs> it's not looking at a clock or asking yeah. how much money we're going to make or anything. Right. It's about accomplishing the mission. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, we went into that meeting the next day. My opposition to the meeting was my head coach, Chuck Daly, best coach really? in the world. Yeah. He says, that's not going to work. You can't stop Jordan. And then Dumars and Rodman, they are so pissed off at us. Uh-huh. You're telling us we can't stop? We're, we're first team all defense. I'm right. defensive player right. of the year, and you're telling me I, what, we beat them 30-something times before this. Now all of a sudden I'm not good enough? Now you have internal stuff between oh, them. Wow. yeah, and so I'm like Mister Positive. I'm saying, guys, let's give it a try, you know. Yeah. And Chuck and Chuck Daly. And this is why he was such a great leader, and I didn't understand it at the time. He goes, I'm like 37 years old, you know, and I, you know, and I'm like the young hip assistant in the NBA, yeah. and he, he says, uh, he says, there's no way, it's not going to work. We're not doing it. And Isaiah and Bill Lambeer say, hey, give it a try. It's on us. And Chuck said, no way it's going to work. And he walks yeah. out of the room. And basically, those guys at that point were so accountable to making sure it worked. They were so yeah. committed. We won the next three games and beat the Bulls. Wow. Yeah. And the guy never comes close. To the, he scored Seventeen points was the most he scored mm-hmm. in three games after forty-seven yeah. points, but they were committed. If it was the coach's idea, there's no right. way we would have won one game.
0: Yeah, and there's no question that on the in the greatest teams on the planet, greatness begets greatness. You have a great player; they're gonna make they're gonna bring greatness out of a coach. You have a great coach, and they're gonna bring the greatness. They can't put greatness there, but if there's greatness there, they're gonna bring it out of them. Right?
1: Hey, Jeff, have you ever been in your operations where? All of a sudden, um, the leader of the operation, you know, in your case, comes up with an idea. Here's the plan. And all the team members say, that's not a good plan. Yeah. That's not going to work. Right. And the old style of leadership was, hey, shut up. Do it right. my way. You know, yeah. and when I get to Chuck Daly, all of a sudden, we go and we were preparing for games. I was so used to just telling our players with the Atlanta Hawks, Hey guys, this is the way we're going to defend this team. And when we get to the point when I'm there and I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Chuck stops me and says to the players on the team, how do you guys want to defend this? Oh, really? First person I ever saw do that. And all of a sudden it's whatever they said. And it didn't matter if we knew it was absolutely wrong we were going to let their opinion count and yeah. let them buy into it. Right. And, you know, and he said, Brendan, if it's not any good, we can change it during the game. It's not like we're going to go down, you know, for 48 minutes yeah. like this, but we allowed them to participate. And that was really the most important thing is it, to get engagement was oh, to yeah. let other people's opinions be heard. And that yeah. was a big paradigm shift in coaching. And I'm sure even military leadership, because it was, uh, you know, it was only you do what the hell I say. I don't want to hear anything else. Right. You know. Yeah. And kind of like parenting in the old days. (laughs) Yeah. I showed up to the military
0: a long time ago when the culture all across the U.S. military was my way or the highway. I'm in charge. You're going to do it this way or else. And then I got a chance to move. Then I got a chance to work with some great leaders in special operator operations. And what's funny is every one of them were, hey, guys, here's the problem. Here's a idea on how to tackle the problem. What do you guys think? And for the first or second time I heard a boss say that I thought he's not really asking for our honest advice, right? Like he just wants us to affirm his idea and then one or two of them doubled down they're like no I'm serious I want to know your thoughts you've done this you've done this a time or two give me your thoughts and what's fascinating is sometimes those leaders would take the plan of somebody else put it in in place execute that plan and execute it to perfection and I thought you know the greatest leaders on the planet they have an idea they're competent they know their stuff but they're willing to listen to the advice of everybody else around them And that's where you really get something special. That's where you really get greatness when you have a humble, but very talented leader like that.
1: Great leaders and coaches and, you know, CEOs, hopefully they, like when I went to work with Chuck Daly, like he said to me, uh, if you're not a better coach than me, I don't need you. Yeah. I need someone better than
0: me. And I laughed
1: at it. And I said, this guy is so good. I'm not even close to being like him. But what he did is he made me feel so important. And we fought each other like cats and dogs privately behind the scenes. No one Uh ever saw. Challenged each other on ways to do things to come up with the right answer. And I I said when I left UB Brown and Mike Fratello that I had had my master's degree in coaching. Mm -hmm. But in my first six months with Chuck Daly, I got a Ph.D. in it. I mean, it was that strong. I mean, he just flipped everything that I had learned and I just shifted the way I coached totally to him because I liked his style fit me better.
0: Yeah. Right. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, 27 years old, just get a phone call from coach Brown. You're getting invited to come to the NBA. And this is for most uh, athletes. This is the dream, right? i have spent my whole life dreaming about this moment. And then I'm also thinking the guys that very few people on the planet will ever get a chance to do that. But when they step into that role, the stress can kill you because you, you've you got all of this pressure on you now. Executing at the professional level, at the highest level of that sport, brings a lot of pressure with it. So what was it like that first game or two, the first week or two, maybe even that first season, 27-year-old assistant coach under under Brown at the NBA? at your age and at that level.
1: The good news was I didn't know what the hell I was doing, so it really <laughs> <I> wasn't. <laughs> wasn't. No. And All thank right. God he and Fratello were so great at what they did. I was literally along for the ride because I didn't really know what the NBA was about. It took me like a year and a half to learn it because college right, basketball right? and pro basketball is a different sport.
0: Yeah, oh, and, yeah. And,
1: and And pro football and college football are, even though there's a closer correlation between yeah. the two, NBA and college basketball—it's almost a totally different sport, uh, and and not in a good way. College is so below, and uh, which is not good for our, the kids coming in. And so yeah. I, you know, I, I I just really, but I, all I, mo- one of my jobs because we were so poorly staffed is I had to go out and scout the opponents of the teams we were going to play wow. in person. So I would go out and see every other team play, and I would come back and say. That guy in Washington, he's a fantastic coach. That guy at the, back <laughs> San Diego, the Los Angeles Clippers were in San Diego back then. Yeah. I said, that guy's a great coach. And I remember Yubi used to just roll his eyes. And when I'd say so-and-so a really good coach because he didn't think he was. No. and But I was like so appreciative because I was seeing right. what they were doing. And for me, it was the best learning because I was learning the entire league. Yeah. They right. were teaching me. And that really helped me. And then on top of that, I was in charge of the college draft. We didn't have a scouting department way back yeah. then. <laughs> you were, you were and, the uh, one man. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bench assistant. I'm the head advanced scout. And I'm the whole college scouting department. Wow. A, a, a department of one. Yeah. And I think we had 10 rounds back then. Now they have two, right? We had yeah. 10 rounds back then. I, you know. Back in the tenth round, I'm picking people that are relatives of the owner, you know, and you know, I mean, <laughs> right. but it, it was very unsophisticated. But it was really, uh, but and I look at where the game is going to now. We had teams that were on the verge of bankruptcy back then,
0: yeah, oh, yeah. Uh,
1: and and now the teams we have teams that were sold last week for four billion dollars. Wow, you know, I mean, it's it's insane right yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, but in a great way. In a great way. We had no international players in the league back then. Now Uh 25% of the league is international players. The last four MVPs are international players. So to be part of the dream team, to watch that, you know, be the group that, you know, David Stern, the commissioner back then said, this is the way we're, we're going to ironically David Stern was the only member of FIBA, the international basketball governing body that voted against allowing professionals to play really? in the Olympics. Everyone else, all the other countries wanted yeah. the NBA players to make the game grow. Right. He thought it was unfair. <laughs> and, and that was the way the game grew. You know, yeah. we played, uh, I watched, uh, the bulls, uh, play Detroit, my alma mater, Detroit Pistons yesterday in Paris. Yeah. You know, and you know, back then, when we played in Barcelona in the Olympics, two and a half billion people watched, you know, yeah. us play, you know, at wow. ten o'clock at night, Europe Europe yeah. time, yeah, yeah, uh, and it and it's what made the game grow, you know. Yeah. So I I just the people that have that vision I love as leaders, right. you know, and that and so. But to be part of that, yeah, I was intimidated, but I was almost too dumb to be intimidated of the players, frankly.
0: Well, even though you were a one-man show, you did – man, what a privilege. Not only do you get a chance to really master one system while you're under Coach Brown, but you get a chance to see many other systems and you get a chance to see the game from a lot of different angles, which no wonder you became such a successful coach. Um, For the listeners who don't recognize your coaching career, you spent more than three decades coaching in the NBA. You've got 45 years of collegiate or NBA coaching and leading at the highest levels. And I'm just going to list off some names here because I don't even watch the sport of basketball, but I know every one of these names. you coach (laughs) players like Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins. You you coach Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Berkeley, Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, even Ben Simmons. Wow. That's an incredible lineup. And when you got really, really talented guys like that, I'm thinking you had to manage some personalities. So coach, how did you deal with the, the the egos that walked into the room with some of those players? Cause I, I know the some of the greatest warriors on the planet and some of them walk in with an ego and people are like, Oh, here we go oh, yeah. again. So yep. how did oh, you, yeah. how did you manage through that?
1: Well, I think uh, through humility, just the opposite of what many people perceive the the coaches, my way, the highway, as we talked about, yeah. Jeff, uh, Chuck and I had led through humility. Uh, I remember when we took the job, we left the Pistons, and we took the job in New Jersey. I think it was or the Orlando Magic, one or the two. And I think when we were going to New Jersey, he was going to coach in the Olympic team, and the first time we ever let professionals coach in Barcelona. And and so he and we had won back-to-back world championships, and so he was considered the greatest coach in the NBA at the time. And we're in New York at the media press conference and Mm -hmm. hundreds of journalists there. And they say, Chuck, what makes you a great coach? It's a a good question. You know, tell us right now. This is the New York media, New York Times. Tell us what what makes you a great coach. And he said, I'm a good coach when I have great players. And that's really, I think, in other words, I'm competent. If I have really, really great players, it'll right. make me look okay. Yeah. But I'm not great. Yeah. And, yeah. and that. And I think that humility uh, is something that really, you know, was so, and like I remember after he had done all these things and accomplishments, he had retired, and then all of a sudden he, the Orlando Magic made him an offer that he basically couldn't refuse to become the highest paid coach in the history of professional sports to go and coach the magic and i remember when he you know he came back to coach and and stuff it, it, you know he just he understood it was a player's game and now right. sports illustrated um, came to do this incredible story how we took this team in orlando that was really a ragamuffin mm-hmm. group and now made him the you know along with Pat Riley and Larry birds, Indiana and Miami team, the best team in the East. How could that be? And he said, no interviews. And he said, no, we're not doing Uh it because he, he just felt that as an NBA coach, it's not about him. And so I don't need any publicity. I don't want any publicity. And I will not cooperate where everyone else in sport or life would want you to do a feature story on them. He was just the opposite. So that humility, I think, is so important as a leader, yeah. Uh, because there's too much me stuff now. Oh yeah, at that level, right?
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: And and so, I want to uh, take that me right. We say it, Jeff, and we right, flip right. it upside and say we, and that's and I and I think you know, you know, show me a great military leader that has horrible soldiers, and you ain't finding them. Right. You know, in right. air. I mean, those are your teammates and and right. uh, those are your team members and that's what it's about to celebrate. And and that's what I learned. And that's why I think sport, business, military, family, everything is so related because that that's the characteristics that make everything up.
0: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um I was thinking when you're that good, when you make it to that level and you're kind of the top at the professional level, you're that good. You know, you're that good. And everybody's been telling you for a long time, you're that good, which means your ego, if you're not careful, can get bigger than life. So a little bit of humility, man, that is so rare, but it's so powerful and it can go a long way at that level because you're just surrounded by the greatest on the planet. Um, So humility at that level is really rare.
1: Jeff, don't you find though that It has to be authentic. Yeah. You know, you can't say, well, you know what? I read Jeff's book and he said, I got to have humility. Okay. I'm going to act like I have humility. You know, (laughs) that doesn't fly. It's got to be real. It's not really humility. uh, Eventually it's got to figure that out. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I remember when we took the job with the Orlando Magic, they had a wonderful player there, Horace Grant, who played with Michael Jordan with the Bulls, but he went and signed as a free agent with the Magic. And the game of bef- the year before we got there, he was unhappy in the situation and he missed 40 plus games with what they called the blue flu. Really, He wasn't sick. Yeah. So I remember we had the press conference down there and he comes to Chuck to see Chuck at the press conference. Cause we had, you know, when he was in Chicago, we beat his ass every time, you know? And so oh, he was I- there and, 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 and he's, he, you know He's there to see Chuck, and Chuck was known for his beautiful suits that he would wear, mm-hmm. and here he is in a beautiful suit, the end of May, and he's in their offices, and there's Horace Grant looking at him, and Chuck, at 67 years old, drops to his knees and says, Horace, I beg you, please play for me. You'll wow. love it. Wow, and and Harris picks him up and laughs and says, "Oh, coach, you know, you know." And yeah. They have a good laugh over. He played eighty two at eighty two games. Wow, yeah. you know, because he showed him amazing respect, and and you know, I think the biggest thing that I I really have found as a leader that's kind of been that I learned when I was doing some consulting with Rich Carlton and Marriott years ago is. That one of their leaders said, I said, how do you – he brought me in to coach their executives. Uh-huh. And I said, I don't know anything about hotel business other than I stay in them. <laughs> you know, I And so he said, no, my leaders don't know anything about leading. So yeah. I they don't know how to lead anyone. They know how to put up good numbers, profit, but they don't know how to coach the people that work for them. I need them developed. So I need you to teach them how to coach their yeah. executive team. It was brilliant, right? And I wow. said, I can do that. Yeah. And it was one of the neatest jobs I ever had, you know, as a side hustle, yeah. right? right? And, um, and so I'm, I, I remember I said, Pete, how do you lead? And he says, I go to each person, each one of my leaders on my team. And I said, what can I do to help you be, become better?
0: Yeah.
1: It's such a beautiful, disarming question. What can I do to help you? And now it shows that you're there for them. And I think that's one of the really. Rather than telling them what's oh, yeah. wrong, tell. I want to help you. What can I do for you? Yeah. And and so I learn from all different people, and I and I take it just like I did with NBA plays. And I take a play that I saw, Popovich or Phil Jackson uh-huh. or Pat Riley run, and I put it in my playbook. Right. I do the same thing in leadership, and I say, I love that. That's a great yeah. style. You know, I'm going to try that.
0: You and I have a very similar view of leadership. I regularly teach students in leadership. I tell them one of my favorite leaders of the last century, I think one of the greatest leaders America produced in the ninth, in the 20th century was a basketball coach by the name of John Wooden. Absolutely. And I try to point them to Wooden and who he was and really what he did for the Bruins before he showed up and what the Bruins basketball program became after. And I remember talking to a few of his former players, reading a couple of his books and, and wouldn't describe the challenges after winning the first national championship. That's when the pressure really got high. Mm-hmm. So coach, you've won back-to-back NBA championships. I love to know what, how much different was that second season than the first one? Now that all of the cameras and all of the attention is on you to repeat, what was that second season like?
1: Well, good thing none of these former players will see this podcast, right? Yeah, they'll have it <laughs> by this knows, afternoon. They'll have it by this afternoon. afternoon. We'll uh, yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that I found was that each championship, each season is one of its own. Yeah, very different, and, right? And, yeah, and, and I think you have to approach life the same way. And we found out with our second group that we had lost a key member from the first group due to what we called an expansion draft as the league was uh-huh. growing. They were yeah. allowed to take one of our players and it turned out to be a, a guy that was a rock on the team, uh, you know, in mm-hmm. the locker room, you know, yeah. as a leader. And, uh, and it was just, it was one that broke our hearts to lose as a coach. And I never forget. We, um, we started out the second year and Chuck had his vision that we were going to start this player, John Sally, who was a substitute the year before and start, well, the first three weeks of the season, we're getting our butt kicked every first right. quarter and to the point where we're now out in Portland playing on a Sunday night. I'll never forget this. This is, it's scary. This is, uh, man, eh. November of 1989. <laughs> How about that? And I see it wow. like yesterday yep. and I'm in the Marriott yep. hotel and as games like in the afternoon and after dinner, I come back to the hotel and it's about eight or nine o'clock and there's Isaiah Thomas and Bill Laimbeer sitting in the bar, not drinking, talking about our team. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't think you would find that nowadays, by the way. Uh, players talking about, yeah, you know, yeah. how to get your team better. They're more concerned. We got a lot of money, yeah. you know, let's not worry about that. More concerned Only about their next teams. contract extension, right? Yep. So these guys there, and uh, I I walk by, I see them. Isaiah gives me the come in type of uh-huh. thing, and I go in, and he says, um, we're getting killed in the first quarter every game. We have to change the starting lineup. I said, really? And they said, you know, I'm not the guy to do that, you right, know, right. and they said, what do you guys have in mind? They had they said they wanted to take our backup center and put him in the starting lineup to play next to Bill Laimbeer, which would make us the biggest and slowest team in the NBA.
0: <laughs> the and biggest so, and slowest in the yeah, game. A uh, great
1: I, combination. Right. Yeah. And so I said, oh, OK. And uh, so this goes on for about two hours. And uh, all of a sudden, here comes 11 o'clock or so at night walking by on his way to his hotel room. Chuck Daly pops his head in. There's there's only the three of us in the bar. Yeah. And he walks in yeah. and says, you guys solving the world's problems or figuring out how to win a game? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Isaiah and his little choir boy thing says, both, Chuck. Both I was going to say, a little bit of both right now, right? Yep. And so he's, Chuck says, what do you have in mind? And, and he tells him, and he says, that won't work. And that's how he. I was like, yeah. okay, sounds good, Chuck's, right. That won't work. You know, just don't blame this guy that we're losing. You know, point to figure it yourself first. You know, to hold it. And 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 so Lambeer, who's got like hundred and eighty IQ, says, Chuck, stop being a stubborn SOB. Let's try it. Okay. Yeah. Right now we're getting our ass kicked. Okay. What can we
0: lose? Right. What can what we is lose? It?
1: Exactly. And so, Chuck says, "Fine, but you'll see, you'll see, I'm right and you're wrong." That lineup stayed together the rest of the year, we won a wow. second championship. Yeah, wow. And the board, the the really thing that makes it the Paul Harvey. Now, for the rest of the story, yeah. we have to go play Portland in the NBA Finals, where we have lost for 19 straight years, have never won a oh, game.
0: Goodness, wow. And,
1: and we got to go there, and we win three straight. Games in Portland on the road and never wow. won there before to win a world championship. Yeah, wow! And it was, and it was only because these guys on the t- leadership group of the team thought about coaching. Yeah, and their team more than themselves that right. made it work. Yeah. nothing, nothing was going to benefit them financially, or they weren't right. going to score more points. They were concerned that our team is not going to be good enough. Yeah. And wow. I, and, I, and that, those are lessons that man, you, you, you sure. don't, you don't ever forget.
0: What an incredible legacy. I, I'm thinking you're under some really, I mean, in your line of work, you're under some of the highest stress moments that a coach and the MBA can possibly be under. And this is a question that I've been, I've started asking my guests pretty regularly okay. it, because they're unbeatable. The kind of people that face the stress and can bounce back from it. So what do you do? What did you do then? What do you do now when you're really under a lot of stress? How do you handle that, that stress? What do you do to make it work your way through it?
1: That's great. One of the best questions ever asked. Uh, Jeff, naturally I was wired to be able to handle it. I never got scared to make a decision. Uh, I, UB told me years ago that he's never had anyone that worked with him that's ever wor- worked with him that could make decisions, right decisions, quicker than me. And he's had some of the best coaches in the world yeah. as his assistants. Yeah. And and I I was like I was actually blown away because I didn't you know I I, I said wow and uh, you know but I I think you I think a lot of it has to do with like you've had leaders I'm sure that when it came time to do we fire do we go in or not they they choked man they froze
2: they froze
1: hey are you still there or is our connection (laughs) you know and you can't find and you know are and then i my big thing on leadership is courage do you have the courage to say something that maybe your boss might even get ticked off at and say it so from that standpoint i think it it was about naturally being wired having courage and also when i have to make tough decisions and recommendations i never do them to embarrass either the yeah. player yeah. or the co- the head coach i'm working with
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh, and even if i disagree with them i will try to make my point in private but uh-huh. sometimes in the heat of the game i can't yeah and so, literally, you know, we're playing in Portland in game five, and we're, we're down, and all of a sudden now to score is tied with 17 seconds to go. We have a timeout, and Chuck says, we're going to run this play. Well, that's the play he called is a very quick hitting play. We would get a shot in two or three seconds. Well, the problem is Portland would now have the last shot to win the game. And Isaiah looks at me, and he has laser vision right on me sitting next to Chuck and says,
0: open your freaking mouth, open your
1: mouth, man. And and I just tapped Chuck on his knee, and, and he looks at me, and I said, why don't we run this play and get it in bounds and hold the ball for the last shot? running this. And he goes, Hey, let's change. And I'm doing this in front of the whole group. But I'm doing it. But they they knew that I was never second guessing him. I was just an out loud suggestion. And we scored with seven tenths of a second to go to win the world championship. And I said to Isaiah, "What would you have done if I didn't say anything?" He said, "I would have fired you right on the spot oh, <laughs> as yeah. a player." He said, "He yeah. I don't need you anymore if you don't, yeah, if, you don't have right. to, yeah. if you don't have the nuts to step up, you know." And I I think, but from outside that, I would I would back when I was coaching, I would run every day for an hour, really? and in the afternoon, and uh, and it really was good because it allowed me to go out and. Uh, you know, just think before the game. And I did it about three or four hours before the game, mid-afternoon. And then later on, now I'm into walking. And I remember when I was uh, running the New York Knicks with Isaiah, Uh and uh, we were still living in Windermere, Florida. And uh, I would be home and in the off season, and I'd be walking in the neighborhood and, I would have my cell phone and I'd mm-hmm. be talking on my cell phone, listening to a podcast, or my favorite thing that John Gordon, the author, taught me to do is mm-hmm. practice your speeches as you're walking. Really? So yeah, uh, yeah it's a really cool thing. So uh, you're taking a 45 minute walk and you're practicing, literally giving a keynote. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: To yourself. Great idea. And, and, and so a neighbor of ours calls my wife up and says, uh, how's your husband doing? You know, and she says, he's doing fine. I, Why? I see him walking through the neighborhood every day. He talks to himself. Is he OK? <laughs> yeah. And my wife says, what's she talking about? And I said, well, I practice doing my yeah. speeches. She said, oh okay, you're doing okay yeah. then I said yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing fine but yeah that, that but that's something that relaxed me right. so I would I would do one of those three things walk, talk to someone, listen to a podcast or practice a speech yeah something like
0: yeah. that. Well, I thank you. I ask this question because there's a mom right now who's raising young children, never done this before, has some really important decisions to make, and is not really sure. There's some guys or gals that are listening to this. They're in leadership, in business, or in sports, and they have a lot of pressure, a lot of Mm -hmm. stress because of some of the decisions. And like you just said, Coach, I've been around guys that buckle because of the stress of making decisions. We called it analysis paralysis. And they -hmm. they got so overwhelmed by the details that they just couldn't make a decision. And at some point, yeah, you just have to make a decision and go with it. And I was thinking, Coach Brown did you a huge favor by just telling you, hey, man, don't try to be me. Just be you. Be yourself. Coach to the best of your abilities. And when you make a decision, and this is my words, maybe not Coach Brown's, Stick with it. Just make a decision and go with it. For that mom that's listening right now, for that leader who has a lot of pressure on them, be yourself, make a decision, and then go with it.
1: You know, um, can I add one thing about decision making? Sure. Yeah. I I, I've, I find that everyone that has to make decisions, they want to be right 100% of the time. Yeah, of course. They want to be right 95% sure. of the time. That's our mindset. Uh, and if you're not then you're a failure and i remember when i was with chuck Daly, he said brendan you have to understand about decision making it's a 50 50 business you're only going to (laughs) be right half the time i said chuck are you crazy he said absolutely not he said half the time you're going to be right half the time you're going to be wrong he said but make it with the knowledge you have about something and what your gut says and don't ever look backwards yeah that is good advice and and you know what and 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 i and i at the time being a young smart ass i said "That's, that's that's not right and all of a sudden one night we're playing an nba game and he's got isaiah thomas out of the game and he's got another player in the game, Benny Johnson, and this guy makes nine straight shots. And I said, Isaiah, you better put Isaiah back in. He's first team all pro. He said, Chuck said, if I put him back in, he might not make a shot. Yeah. He said, and you're telling me to take a guy out that has made nine straight shots. He said, let's just roll with the yeah, guy that's let's going roll. good right now. Right. And, and he proved to me over a course of time that sometimes you're right sometimes you're wrong but don't beat yourself up unless it's and, life and death <laughs> and don't
0: try to be somebody else right just you know amen. make it with the best information you got and go with it amen i i think yeah.
1: that's so important
0: hey i want to wrap this up with it sure. occurred to me during this interview you coached the game you were an executive in the nba at a massive transition and i didn't even realize this until we started talking about the dream team The NBA and the game of basketball really became a global sport while you were integrally involved. And the sport itself changed because it became a global sport, the Mm -hmm. amount of international players that are in the game now as opposed to when you first started coaching. And inevitably, that changes the culture of the game. So here's where I want to go with this. You now have the chance to lead leaders and coach coaches because you're consulting, you're having the privilege to con- to lead CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, talk to some really high-level, high-capacity leaders. And some of them, the culture is changing, but they don't see it. So how would you—and I'm just asking you to coach me along a little bit. If you, If I said, I need your help, coach, I need your help adapting to and leading my team through a cultural shift, even if it's a very minor cultural shift— what would you, how would you start to coach that coach or lead that leader?
1: Okay, that, that, you know what, you're really good at this, you know. Well, I thank really, you. I really encourage you to get into this business. <laughs> I, I do this for a living, right? Yeah. You should really think about this. Uh, that is such a, a brilliant question because I think. One of my former players is now the coach of Philadelphia 76ers, Doc Rivers. He's just mm-hmm. an incredible, incredible leader. And Doc, uh, one of my events I do, he's spoken there six times. And the last time he spoke, he, he had, had just been coaching his son, Austin, with the Clippers. He's now with the Timberwolves. And, and, and he said, let me give you, every man and woman coach out there, this lesson. Everyone that works for you, everyone that plays for you, coach them, lead them like they're your own son or daughter. Wow. I said, I mean, it is like the great don't talk down to them. Don't talk to them like they're some subordinate that's not worth worthy of a talk to them like they're your own son or daughter. Talk to them like you would want someone to talk to your son or daughter. That's leadership. But what I found and I've been doing an extensive study on this, Jeff, is that I, I really think there's five keys now, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's parenting, coaching, entrepreneurship, leading. It, 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 you know, and I've even talked to General Hartling about this. There's five things that I think really are important nowadays. Number one, as a leader, do you have credibility? Right. Uh, if you don't have credibility, it's really hard uh yeah. to to be, for the p- people that are receiving your leadership to say this guy really you know this guy is really good you know yeah. but yeah. It, the second thing is competency now when you get a chance to lead do you know what the hell you're doing
0: right right
1: <laughs> you know there's a lot of people out there leading that don't know what the hell they're don't doing don't have no
0: business leading at least right. leading this
1: so credibility competency and then the third thing now this is getting into your sweet spot because this is this is what the army has taught for 200 years is about integrity you yeah. got to be you got to be truthful leader you got to you can't tell them the one thing and then not be that's not right. the truth right. yeah. and and then the, the fourth thing is trust it's irreconcilable if you if you lose your trust in your the people that you're leading it's over it's yeah. over you know, doesn't matter, and, and and the the what I call the secret sauce of it all is caring. Here we go, authentically caring about people, and all my male friends that I have, my my best coaching clients, people I've worked with, some people that you see, oh, I I know him. That guy's the best coach in the world. Literally, we hang up after a coaching session, and male to male, they say. Coach, hey, Brendan, uh, love you, man. I mean, that has to be one of the key words now yeah. in leadership is love. And it has yeah. nothing to do with this. This is real love, love of man to man, man to woman, about loving you, the human. That's yeah. it. And and I think that's the most powerful stuff that I've come across. That's it's not X's and O's. <laughs> that's that's freaking as immaterial, frankly, to yeah. me. This is wow, really the I, coaching. Yeah. I
0: hope the leaders, are, I hope the listeners are understanding what you're hearing right now. What you just described. It doesn't matter the industry. You can be uh, leading in your family. You can be leading at the highest levels in sports or in business. And this works every time. And you get one of these wrong, and it's going to be bad. Um, but Brendan, here's an analogy. You're welcome to use because I was in the room. One of the highest level military leaders on the planet from the U.S. military was having kind of a leader discussion with the high level military leaders in the room and asking them, what does it really take to convince your subordinates to win the next battle, even if it means at the cost of their life? And it was funny because some of the guys and gals in the room were tossing out ideas and it was obvious he wasn't hearing what he expected from the guys in the room. So way back in the corner of the room, I kind of lifted my hand up. And I know this guy (laughs) since the time that he was relatively new to the military. And I said, what it takes in order to pull this one off is love. You got to genuinely love and they have to know you genuinely love the people that you're leading. And it was funny. He said, that's exactly what I was waiting for. If you don't love them, if they don't know you love them, you will never get out of them what they're capable of giving because they know you don't love them. And love is not a word that gets tossed around in the military very often, but my buddies right. who served with me, we end conversations the exact same way. Before I wrap up a phone call, they say, Hey, I love you, man. Or I say, I love you too, buddy. Um, yep. And we mean it by that word. Amen. That,
1: yeah. that, you're, you're my kind of guy. Absolutely. Well, not me,
0: but I'm talking about a, a buddy of mine. No. I'll just name his name. General Stanley McChrystal made this statement, oh. and I he was absolutely right. McChrystal said, "You lead with love, or else you'll just never get the, the best out of your out of your people."
1: I never met him, but he's one of my heroes.
0: Yeah, Stanley McChrystal, yeah, the him. guy who made love that him, statement. Man. Love yeah. the guy to death.
1: Um, I, 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 you know, just I, I, have one of my clients. He was, last night he was down twenty six points in the first half, lost a game by three points. He calls me this morning from wow. the West Coast at six a.m. and he's telling me what he's going to do in his meeting today with his players and stuff like that. And I said, and, and he's basically doing everything that you and I have talked about yeah. not doing. And so <laughs> I said, uh, he, I said, are you ready to be coached? And he said, uh, Yes, of course. So I called you. I said, first go in and tell them how much you love them and how much, how proud you are of them. And I'm here that we can do better and win every game's a learning experience.
0: Yeah.
1: He said, I'm glad I called. (laughs) You know, because our our tendency is to always blame someone else when it doesn't Uh work. Right. And, and I just think, and, and the persons, the, the most, Many of the people that I'm sure you and I coach, they're, they're more accomplished. They're
2: uh-huh. making,
1: I have, I have clients that are making over $20 million a year. Right. Wow. And, 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 you know, the first question I asked them is, are you coachable? And every person I've ever asked has said, yes. I said, may I be truthful with you during our conversations? They said, of course, and then there, anytime they try to push back, I said, wait a minute, you told me you're coachable. You told me you want me to be truthful with you. So you can't argue. Right. I'm doing, I'm doing what you asked me to do. Yeah. And it's one of those things that by asking those two questions, it allows you to coach and penetrate. Yeah. Because and they've now to said their heart,
0: right? Not just their, you know, X's and O's, but now we can get to the heart of the leader.
1: The, the, I, and and so I had one of my clients who's now an MBA coach that, that was a college coach when I started working with him over 20 years ago. And he said, you want to turn me into a soft coach. <laughs> I said, no, I want to turn you into the best version of who you yeah. are as a coach. Right. He said, that's, that's soft stuff. It's not going to uh-huh. work. And so um, he now um, is a, Absolutely brilliant, brilliant NBA coach. And one of the things that for his birthday last spring, I sent him a case of Charmin tissue <laughs> and said, congratulations, you finally have moved to greatness. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and because it's about the things we're talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, whether it, you Be demanding, or... be demanding. I don't want to change your personality. Right. That's right. If you're... If you're a yeller and screamer, just don't leave scars on your people. Right. Yeah. Don't make it personal. Uh, be demanding, but not demeaning. There's a huge difference. Oh, man, that's good right there. I'm writing that down. All right. Uh, and I, I think that is, uh, you know, I, I don't, if, you, if you'd like, to, I'm not one that comes at people. I'm more the other way. Uh, 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 but that's my personality. Yeah. But if you're one of those yellers and screamers and we want to be demanding, that's cool. Just don't yeah. make it personal. Don't leave any scars on them. No. That was no. one no. of the no. things I learned. No. You know, don't leave scars on people because they, you know, and some people, even though they come from tough places, west side mm-hmm. of Chicago yeah. and stuff, they can't be coached hard because they, yeah. they're not, they, they, they can't. So I coach them one on one the group doesn't see what I am doing with that person yeah. one-on-one I never embarrass them in front of the other group right and, and and so you have to know every person on your team in your squad and in your family yeah I always say to pe- people that when I talked to them I said if they're married I said how many children how many of you have more than one child and they'll mm-hmm. raise their hand and I have two and I said, all of your kids, whether you have two, three, four, five kids, they're all the same, right? And they say, Oh no, every one wow. of them's different. Yeah. So why would you coach a team of fifteen right. or eighty eight the right. same? Yeah. Why would you do that? Absolutely- if every kid is different, you know. Yeah. So that's where we try to get into forget the X's and O's. It's a bunch of crap, you know, you know, you better know that's the competency You gotta part. know the X's and O's, right? Yeah. I, 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 I mean but you I gotta know long. that. That's right. that, you know, if you don't, then you shouldn't be coaching or leading and, and any business. And, and but yeah. it's this part, the human part that is going to make the person perform at the level of greatness, I think.
0: Yeah. What a great uh, conversation. I was just thinking. Coach, you are a talented leader of leaders, because whether you know it or not, even during this conversation, you were coaching me along a little bit. And I just want to tell you once again, thank you for taking some time to be on this episode of Unbeatable with me.
1: It's an honor, Jeff. And uh, when my friend Brian Davidson said, you'll really enjoy it, he understated it. You're awesome. You're absolutely awesome. if people want to
0: learn a little bit more about you, if they want to connect with you, find out who you are and what you're doing, what's the best way to, to, for them to find, uh, find you? My
1: kids will say just Google my name. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, you can go to our uh, website, coachingyoulive.com, coaching you, letter mm-hmm. U. Uh, and what we are really is we're an educational system for coaches and leaders. Uh, but we have a podcast that we do weekly.
0: Uh, you what's know, the name of
1: it for the coaching listener? Coaching You coaching you with podcasts with the coach, Brendan, sir, you know, so it's all coaching right. you podcast. That's how it goes. Get it on any of your platforms. Uh, and then we, uh, for coaches, we just put out an app uh, that has all the materials that we've accumulated over 15 years of having our business. Wow. And we put it on an app for nine ninety nine, I think a, a month or 99 a year. Uh, and so that's part of our mission of teaching basketball globally. Yeah. Okay. And we're involved with so many countries now, and trying to—it's uh, absolutely frightening to me. I mean, I—I've wow. been in China fifteen times. Yeah, that country uh, has taken to the game of basketball. Yeah, and and they haven't let me back there for the last four years with our leadership <laughs> in the <laughs> under under Coach Trump and uh, our other uh-huh. cohort there in China. But they, they, we had a huge basketball, and 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 I don't know, Jeff. You, I mean, you were. <laughs> You know, you were in Mogadishu. I mean, you know, you were in the worst of the worst places mm-hmm. in the world and stuff. I've been to great places. Uh, you know, I was in Russia uh, prior in when when it was communist, you know, yeah. because my owner, Ted Turner, with the Hawks, uh-huh. uh, put CNN right in the middle of Red Square. I mean, yeah. and I, you know, right where the Kremlin was. I mean, there was CNN Tower. And so we had a phenomenal relationship. And so what I found is that the people in every country are fabulous Yeah, is the governments are screwed up. That's exactly right. Yep. In almost every country, including nope. ours sometimes. I you agree. Know. Yep. Totally but, agree. But the people, whether you know, That's when amazing. I remember they're, they're great. The people are yeah. great and, and they want what we want. <laughs> yeah. They want the same things. I don't care That's if you're true. in China, the Middle East or anything they're, they're the same. It's for, the
0: people. Yeah. People are pretty much the same all over the planet, especially parents. They all want the exact same thing. doesn't matter sure. what country you're in. Um, their government may be a bit different, but every, Woo. but the people and yeah. the parents are all the same.
1: Yeah. Yes. And, and that's, it gives us hope in my opinion, Absolutely. you know, yeah. there, there's more of them than there are of them. So hopefully, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. And, and I, you know, I, and I coach, you know, ceos and do keynotes and everything um stuff but i just love helping people get better that's my whole thing well (laughs) for
0: people that are listening to this episode we're going to put a link in the notes go back and look at the show notes and we'll put a link to coaching you live um so that you can go directly to to his coach's website but thank you again for taking your time being with me thank you for coaching this leader a little bit during this episode
1: Jeff, it was a, my honor. I love you, brother. You're really good. Let me, any if anything too, I can bro. do to help you, just give me a shout. Thank you. you.
0: I am blown away by the simple five points that Coach Sewer uses to help people lead better and make a big difference. And obviously the challenge that he leads all of us with, it doesn't matter if you're a leader in business, if you're a leader in sports, or you're a leader at home, or you're just leading yourself. His challenge is to be yourself. Do what Coach Seward uh, did when he first entered the NBA, and just be yourself and don't try to be somebody else. The other challenge that he left me with on this episode of Unbeatable was to go out and to lead with love. So for you parents, for you leaders in business, leaders in life, if you got people that are looking up to you, let them know that you love them and lead them with love. Hey, thank you for joining me. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you heard a couple of things today that really inspired you on this episode. And if you found this podcast for the first time and you really like what you heard, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? If you are a subscriber, are you following us on social media? Because we put content out all week long. The best way to find us is just go to @unbeatablepodcast on all your favorite social media platforms. You'll find us right there. But I also want you to know that I try to coach people especially people that are really struggling, really going through some hardships. That's why we call this podcast Unbeatable. And I got a free guide that I'll give you. It's totally free, no strings attached. It is what I refer to as the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. It's my way of just coaching you with thoughts and quotes and ideas when life gets hard. You want that survival guide? I'll give it to you totally free. All you got to do to get it is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. And put your information in there. Hey, thanks for joining me for this episode. And I'll see you right back here next time. God bless.